Good evening again. We're going to go tonight to the book of 1 Corinthians, ninth chapter. We're going to start at verse 24. Tonight we're going to talk from the topic, Staying the Path to a Healthy Lifestyle. So, apply. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. The Corinthians were interesting people. They lived on what is called an isthmus. What that is is a land bridge. So it, con- it connected two uh, land masses so people would cross over. Um, it's kind of what the Panama Canal was before they cut the canal. And so you could go from, you could walk from Central America to South America over a piece of land. Because of this, the Corinthians were a were a people who had a lot of trade, a lot of spices, a lot of goods. Uh, they were exposed to a lot. They actually had a very, very busy pagan worship practice where they were. So when you read the books of First and Second Corinthians, you find that Paul deals with a whole lot of different issues as he deals with them. One of the things the Corinthians were big into was sports. Um, at the time, the Greeks had what is called the Olympics. We still have the Olympics. We restarted the Olympics. Um, at the turn of the last century. Um, and so the Greeks had these Olympics. And so everyone knew about the Olympics. It was a big deal. It was like the Super Bowl of their day. And Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, he uses the analogies of this Olympics to make some really good points. So he had to understand sports because he does a good job of using the sports of their day. The sports of their day were, were wrestling, Greco-Roman wrestling, boxing, and, of course, racing, foot racing. Um, now, they would pick one young man from a town, and he would train for four years in between each Olympics. I think it was four years even then. But he would train, and he would do everything he could to go to the Olympics and win. Why? Because when he came back home, he would be a hero. Sometimes his whole family would be given riches, and nobody would ever have to work again. But if he lost... He really didn't want to go home. It was such a shame to lose. And so a lot of young men would go, and sometimes they would never come back if they went to the Olympics and didn't bring home the prize. That backdrop brings us to 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 24, where Paul says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul is making some very serious statements here. So let's go verse by verse. We're kind of going to Bible study through these two passages because I believe that they are rich with what God would have us to know. And I believe they're very applicable to those of us living in this day and age. The first verse, verse 24, he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain. Paul is saying there are a lot of people who sign up as Christians but are not really serious about running the Christian race. He says, don't you understand? When these 
Guys go to do the 100-meter dash in the Olympics. I'm a When they go to do a 100-meter dash in the Olympics, these guys never get down in the blocks to run unless they are serious about winning the race. He says, don't become a Christian. Don't pretend you're a Christian unless you're going to run as seriously as they run. Now, the the Olympics are full of stories of these sprinters. Uh, Allegations of steroid use. I'm trying to remember his name. His name was Ben Johnson from Canada. Actually, originally, I think, born in Jamaica, but ran for Canada. And he ran the 100-meter dash faster than anyone ever had ever done so. They found out later on he actually had used um, steroids and performance-enhancing drugs or substances that were illegal, and they stripped him. And one of the things he said in an interview was he did that because the pressure to win was so great. He could not go to the race and not go as fully prepared as possible. And I I remember watching that race on television. It was as if everyone else almost was standing still. He just flew. Broke the world record. Shattered it, actually, because he was using steroids or some other performance-enhancing drugs. Paul says, listen, when you're a Christian, you can't, truly, we can't use steroids. We don't Christian steroids. But we ought to be very serious about running the race. Nothing should be more important than when you get down in the blocks and call yourself a Christian, you're serious about running the race. It's interesting because, you know, I, I'm a, I like um, basketball and football. I grew up in high school. I played football. And the only reason I stopped playing football was because I got to a point where I would have had to play on the Sabbath. So I, I didn't play. I went to public high school, public school, up until I went to college. And I loved playing football. But really, we won our football games not during the season. We won the state championship my first year I played in ninth grade. But you didn't win a football championship in the game. You won football championships in the summertime. You won, you won football championships running up hills all summer long in the, in the humidity of Connecticut, up and down, up and down. You won because they would stand there with a whistle and blow it. And if one guy jumped over, we'd have to run more hills or more laps. And so all summer we were training so that when you saw us in a game and we performed in unison and, and we ran the ball well and threw the ball well, people would say, man, they had a good game. But really what we had was good training. Ah, oh, I want to submit to you as we use these sports allergy, uh, 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 analogies that the reality is you can't just show up and be a Christian. It's not enough on the weekend to go to church and, and dress up in suits and ties and and nice shoes and, and shiny and polished cars and, and walk into the church building and, and all of a sudden sing the songs and sound like a Christian and, and everything's going right when you didn't train all week. You see, being a Christian is as much about what happens when nobody's watching as it has to do with what happens when everyone's watching. Just like you have to train. And so I remember one of the players I used to hate when I was a kid, even though now I love him, was Larry Bird because I was in Connecticut and I was a Philadelphia Sixers fan and the Boston Celtics used to beat the Sixers every year and they'd go to the championship and win. We hated them. And Larry Bird would hit these weird, awkward shots, throw them over the backboard, fling them up over his shoulder, and they would go in. What everybody didn't know is that Larry Bird showed up to the stadium, uh, to the arena sometimes four, five hours before the game. 
Nobody else would even be there. The janitors would still be sweeping the floors of the, of the, of the basketball arena, and there he would be shooting. Why? Because if you're going to perform when the lights are on, you must be preparing when the lights are off. You can't expect to just walk into temptation and all of a sudden now, temptation is upon you and now you're going to be a strong Christian. Stop! Right? You haven't prepared in advance. You're in trouble. I say this to young people all the time. I told us to a parent. I left here last night. I had to go back to the hospital. I saw a young lady. Maybe the Lord wanted me to go back and see this young lady. Um, she's 15. She's having sex with her boyfriend. So she's getting urinary tract infection. Her mother's just shouting at the top of her lung in the urgent care. It's because of your boyfriend. That's why you keep getting these. I'm like, man, shh. Please, you're embarrassing me. And I have nothing to do with this. But I told a young lady, nobody plans to fail. They simply fail. Even Christians need to have a plan. You see what happens to a lot of our young people, what gets them into trouble, we're talking about this Christian race and staying the path, is that we often are Christians when we're here together in a group and, and when the songs are being sung and when, and when there are others to Bible study with. But when you get off by yourself, and, 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 and she's so pretty, young man. She's so good looking and, 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 and you know, you, nothing's gonna happen if we just go for that stroll or, or take that ride or, or go off by ourselves, but, but you don't have a plan. So you wind up in a predicament where, where her two arms turn into eight arms and, and she's all over you and, 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 and you don't know how to say no because your Christianity has only been a, a Christianity when the lights are on. When you were home alone, you didn't consecrate yourself to God and make up in your mind and plead with God that you would live a holy and chaste life and that, Lord, you would shun the very appearance of evil and, and flee from temptation. So when temptation comes, you're like a deer caught in the headlights. Oh, young ladies, don't laugh. It goes both ways. Girls fall in love. Look how big his shoulders are. He's so cute. Look at the dimples in his, in his cheeks. Oh, he's so cute. You know what I tell the girls, when I'm, especially when I'm in the city, in the, in the hood talking? I say, cute never paid one bill. Never. The phone company is not going to cut off your phone and call your house first and say, My, uh, Mrs. Smith, you're $600 behind on your payments, and we are going to cut off your phone unless you meet the cute husband exemption. If your husband's good looking enough, you can email us this picture and we'll keep your phone on. Cute does not pay bills. You know, the rest of the girls always tell me, we have a girl at my church now, she's pregnant, and Sabbath, I pulled her aside, and I said, well, whatever you need, you know, I'm like, no reason for me to judge her now. I mean, she, she knows where she is. Is there anything you need? Diapers, we'll buy them, we'll, we'll take care of you, we'll make sure you finish school, we'll do everything, everything it takes. We'll make sure, you know, we'll make sure that you're taken care of. But I remember warning her, talking to her about this, because she was always so caught up in how cute the guys were. She was one of those boy crazy girls. But you see, she was never training at home. She was getting mixed signals between the church and, 
her life outside of church. And because the two didn't flow together, when the time of temptation would come, she failed for temptation. And it's more complicated than that. But, but, but I want you to understand that if you're going to be in this race, you can't be eating Doritos and Twinkies and drinking root beer soda pop with whipped cream on it all week long. Watching television eight hours a day, you won't even run around your house and expect that race day is going to come. You're going to get on the blocks and run faster than everybody who's been eating lettuce and carrots and running all week. The Christian can't do that. You've got to have a relationship with Jesus as you go into the battle. The battle is the wrong place to try and make a relationship. There's a thing, a saying they say when you read books on, on doing well on your job and advancing in your career, they say, if you wait to make friends when you need them, you'll never have them. If it. If you wait till the crisis comes and now you're reaching out to everyone in the office to be their friend, probably not going to happen. You've got to learn to make friends when it's peacetime. Hard to make friends when war comes. Paul says, get down and be serious. Look at the next verse. Verse 25 says, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we are incorruptible. Their crown is corruptible. Ours is incorruptible. Their crown will fade. Ours will last forever. Paul says, they do it. They do what? They're temperate in all things. Temperate is an old English word that actually is still a word. We don't use it as much anymore, except probably in some of our churches. But temperate means to be self Control. Ah, let me give you something. Just give you something profound. Dr. James Cowell, who used to be the, the uh, dean of the School of Public Health in London, then now is the pastor at Berean SDA Church in Los Angeles, who preached once at our church, Mount Rubido, for health and temperance. And he said something profound. He said that your body will conspire to kill you. Your body will conspire to kill you. If you give yourself Everything you ever crave or want, your body will conspire to kill you. He used the example of midnight snacks and cookies and going downstairs to get milk. We could translate that into a lot of other things. We could say, you know, if you get into alcohol, the same principle will apply. The cravings that alcoholics get are ultimately craving of their own body conspiring to kill them. Why? David said that we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Even our righteousness, Isaiah says, is as filthy rags. You can't trust yourself. The minute you begin to believe that you've arrived, the minute you begin to believe that you've conquered your weaknesses, the minute you begin to believe that you can stand on your own and you, you, you start to put your, puff your chest out as if you are more righteous than someone else, then the reality of your weakness will show up and you will fall. I warn Christians all the time, the key to being a Christian is humility. The key to being a Christian is, is staying humble. It's, it's staying meek and lowly. Why? Because the devil wants to vaunt you up. He wants you to think you've arrived. He wants you to think you're holier than everyone else. If he can get you to think that, he can get you to fall. Why? Because in heaven, that's what he fought. Lucifer was son of the morning. He was the cherub that covered. He was, he was made with pipes and tabrets, Ezekiel tells us. He was like a musical instrument, but he began to vaunt himself and elevate himself and started to say things like, I will exalt my throne above the throne of the Most High. And Satan fell. He went from Lucifer to Satan. He fell. Paul says, listen, 
in each of us. There is what I call a seed of sin. It, it means that we were born to sinful parents, and, and in each of us is what we call a propensity to sin. What that means is that you cannot trust yourself. That means that you will need to only trust in God. So look what Paul says again. He says in verse 25, Every man that striving for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we are incorruptible. So you can't trust yourself. That's the first lesson. You cannot trust yourself, especially when you're going through adolescence and your hormones are all over the place. It is a bad time to try and test yourself. That's why the Bible says to shun the very appearance of evil. I tell young ladies all the time when I speak to them, if you really don't want to get into trouble with a boy, you'll probably never get into a car alone with him. You'll never be that way until you're ready to get married because in the reality of the situation, if the boy knows what he's doing, he's not, I talk about music in some of my seminars, he's not going to put on, you know, um, army marching band music. That's not what he's going to play, girls. I'm going to put on Luther Vandross. Very white. You're going to hear all them deep, sultry sounds. And the music is going to start working on you. He's going to turn to you and start telling you how pretty your skin is. Now, he's no dermatologist. So if I were you, once he starts talking about your skin, that is a sign to evacuate the premises. Oh, girl, look at your eyes. Look, they just, ooh, they're like pearls, girl. And you know, the girls just love it. <laughs> He's not an ophthalmologist either. He can't tell anything about your eyes except that you probably can see him. And let me just say this. He's not a gynecologist either. So there are parts of you he should go nowhere near. God has called you to righteousness. He's called you to live a different kind of life. And so you are challenged with having to, to really hunker down and take this race seriously. They do it. Michael Jordan has six National Basketball Association rings. They do it to obtain a corruptible. Anytime they talk about Michael Jordan, one of the things they almost always mention is the six rings and how many times he was a defensive player of the year and how many scoring titles he won and on and on and on and on and on. Michael Jordan is a great basketball player. But I submit to you that when you re look, read his life story that he, he didn't even make his junior high basketball team and that he spent hours in his father's backyard all alone shooting shots so that one day he could be a basketball star. I want to say that all of the effort and all of the fame that goes to Michael Jordan and the six championship rings that he has are all corrupted. Did you know that when Jesus returns, he's not going to ask Michael Jordan how many championships he has? He's not going to ask him how many how many. Wonderful slam dunks he had with his tongue hanging out the side of his mouth. How many slam dunk contests he won. How many NCAA championships. He's not going to ask him how many points he scored. How many blocked shots he had. How many steals he had. It's all corruptible. Meaning it will all fade and, and perish. It's all temporary. What's permanent then? What God is trying to give you tonight in, through this word is that the only permanent championship out there is the one that you win when you let Jesus run in you. It's the one that you get when Jesus is the star in you. When he's the one that gets all of the attention. When he's the one making all of the moves and the decisions. When he's the coach and the player in your life. 
then there is a crown that you can uh, receive that will never fade away. Everything on earth is temporary. I don't care how big the mansion. They have to show MTV cribs. You know, and go through all these mansions for all these rap stars and rock stars. And, you know, the kids watching and they, they you know, they, they're just going crazy. Now, the poor kids at home, especially in the ghettos of America, will probably never see one of those cribs. The chances statistically are slim to none that they'd ever even live halfway anywhere near Russell Simmons or Jay-Z or Beyonce. They show us all these houses and they drive up and drive in Bentleys and, 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 you know, they don't drive regular cars anymore. They're Bentleys and they're, and they're, um, the Mercedes, not even the Mercedes, they drive the, 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 the high-end Mercedes, the Maybachs now. Rolls Royces and, and they have their own jets and, and all of this stuff. But, but I want to submit to you with all of the bling bling and all of the gold and diamonds, when Jesus returns, Peter says it will all melt with fervent heat. It will be broken down, Peter says, into its basic compounds. All of it will become ashes on earth. It is all temporary. They do it, Paul says, to obtain a corruptible crown. Doesn't matter how many degrees you get. Doesn't matter how high your title at work ever becomes. It doesn't matter how big your house. And I'm not against education. I'm a physician. I, I think all of us should be educated. I think we all should work hard and, and do well. The Bible says a man who does not Provide for his family is worse than an infidel. I'm not saying you ought not work and do well here on earth, but I am telling you that when you look at what God is trying to say, your, your, your eternity is not tied up in the things of this world. That's an important lesson to, to, to learn, especially for the young people. But you learn now that, you, as the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That always has to be first priority. And I tell people all the time, they say, what is your profession? People ask me, I say, my first profession is my profession of I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else is really irrelevant. Where else I did the schooling, the, the job titles, really don't mean anything if I'm not covered by the blood of Jesus. They do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible Paul says in verse 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. Paul says, I'm not shadow boxing. I'm not just training. I'm fighting for real, he says in verse 27. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Why? Because Paul knows that your body will conspire to kill you. Paul calls himself the chief among sinners. Paul, who wrote all these books, Paul talks of his own unworthiness and his own weakness all the time. Paul is clear that he is nothing separate from God. He says, I beat down my body and bring it into subjection. Why? Because your body will conspire to kill you. So Paul says, I die daily. Oh, I want to submit to you that just like if you were going to be a superstar athlete, you'd have to train every single day. My cousin is the starting safety for the Washington Redskins. Sean Taylor was played on Sunday in Houston Cowboys. Watched a little bit of it while I was at the hospital. And asked me when I go to Florida for Thanksgiving, I'm hoping I can run into him. We just threw a big party for my grandmother's 86th birthday in, in Miami uh, in July. My, my first cousin. But even in July, we were talking, I was talking to him about going back to play football and 
and all of this. And he, he's already telling me how banged up he's on the third year and he should leave. But he said, I'm not at football conditioning. So what do you mean? He said, see, in the offseason, it's hard to stay focused. You eat cookies, you eat, you drink stuff you're not supposed to, you're not running like you normally do. He says, I'm not there yet. He said, I, I, I said, you're not there yet. You'd run circles around me. He says, but that doesn't mean anything. I've got to be at the level of the NFL. I've got to be prepared to play on the field with the best athletes in the world. What does that mean? He says, when the time comes, a few, like maybe four or five weeks before the season starts, he begins to train. And every single day, he has a regimen that he has to go through, just a basic two, three-hour regimen. And then he begins to train. He has to beat his body down and bring it into subjection. He can't have the stuff he wants to have. He can't go where he wants to go. He can't be out late at night. He lives differently during the football time. Paul says, I take my body and I beat it down. I bring it into subjection. Why? Because I've got to be able to perform at the level God is calling me to. That means it's, I'm not here just to, just to get through 70 years. I'm not here just to, just to get through life and then die and, and it mean nothing. No, Paul says, I am in a great controversy. I'm a part of it only because I claim to be on Jesus' side and, and I'm now the enemy of the devil. Every day that I go out of my house, the enemy is trying to destroy me. He's trying to destroy you. Paul says you've got to take your game up. You've got to bring your body into subjection. You have got to ask God to take control. So the Bible says it this way. It says, have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Can't trust yourself. So he says, I bring my body, beat it down into subjection. He says, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. The word cast away in the Greek uh, is adakemos, which is better translated disqualified. Paul says, I don't want to have preached to other people. I don't want to have, have gone to church all my life or, or all my life thought I was spiritual or, or all my life thought I was a good person. I don't want to have been every Sabbath school or Sunday school or, or listen to TBN or 3ABN all the time and pretend to be a Christian or think I'm a Christian. Paul says, I don't want all of that. And on judgment day, when my, ter- my name is called, it goes up, you're disqualified. Submit to you tonight. I don't want to be disqualified. That means I've got to live different. And by God's grace, I will ask Him for the strength to make the changes in my life where they need to be made. And I'm going to tell you, it won't happen overnight. It won't happen all at once. It didn't happen all at once for Peter. It didn't happen all at once for Paul. It definitely didn't happen all at once for David in the Old Testament. But with daily prayer and daily Bible study and with fellowshipping with other believers, God begins to change. I can tell you I'm not the man I used to be. Jesus changed me. There was a time when I thought all that life was about was to be in the big cities, in the nightclubs. I, used to, I was on stage with people like Public Enemy, and I met Ice Cube and Snoop and, and, and all kinds of reggae stars, and I thought that was the life that God would want for me. But I can tell you that all of it was empty. I watched a big stars that you know, you do cocaine and marijuana. Smoking marijuana like, like, like it was toilet paper. Just 
spoken up the stuff like crazy. Watched as many of them ruin their lives and, and attempted suicide. And saw how hollow it is to be big on this earth. And I learned it is better to be small on earth so that God can elevate you living. God changed me, and I'm telling you, he can change a wretch like me. God's power to change is a powerful power. I want to say the story I want to finish with is a story from uh, 1936 Olympics. A guy named Jesse Owens was running for the United States. And he was a black um, runner. And at the time, in 1936, the Germans were led by Adolf Hitler. And, and a Nazi swell had taken over. And one of the things that Adolf Hitler did was he, he made sure to, to use his, the media at the time to make people hate each other. The truth of the matter is the Jews of Germany were the most assimilated Jews of all of Europe. You was, it would have been most difficult to tell a Jewish German from any other Jew in Europe. But Hitler wanted to destroy the Jews. And so he would put pictures of Jews as rats on the front page of the newspapers and say that they were inferior beings and that they had robbed us of our, of our wealth and, had, and had, had destroyed the fatherland. And so the public trend went against the Jews. And ironically, many of the Germans didn't even hate the Jews. There's stories of Germans helping Jews all over the place, Schindler's List being one of their famous ones. But because the popular sentiment went that way, people did. So when he heard that the Americans were going to bring black athletes, he started to put pictures on the newspapers of apes, monkeys, who aren't humans, into Jesse Owens. He promised the German people that the German athlete would beat any other athlete in the world. They were superior based on race. And that especially black athletes could never compete with his athletes. Jesse Owens knew this. He was from the South at the time in America, which was not a racially friendly place. So he was kind of prepared for what he was going to be facing. And one of the great stories that come out of the 1936 Olympics is when Jesse Owens goes to qualify for the long jump. As he goes to qualify, he's, he stands there and the whistle blows and he takes off running and he comes down and he takes off and he goes flying through the air and even before he gets halfway through his jump, he hears the judge yell out, fault. He knew he didn't step on the line, so he knew what was going on. They were trying to disqualify him before he could have a chance to beat the German favorite. So he went back and he was, he get three chances. So he went back the second time. He was even more careful. Went back and stepped back a couple inches. Took off. And even every time when Jesse would, would fly through the air, all of the crowd in, uh, in Munich, the whole stadium would ooh and awe as he floated through the air. But even the second time, the judge yelled out, fault. He was dismayed. He didn't know what to do. How would he win? I mean, get, Qualified so he can go on and try and win a medal for the United States of America. His coach came up with the idea, I think it was his coach who came up with the idea, and gave him a white towel. And what he did was he took the towel and placed it about a foot or a foot and a half in front of the line where he would be disqualified. Went back, and because he knew he could qualify, even with a one and a half foot handicap, went back and took off, stepped on the towel, and went sailing through the air to the oohs and ahs of the onlooking crowd. The judge couldn't cry fault because it was obvious, even if you're in the top of the stadium almost, that he had to have stepped a foot and a half back because his mark was on the towel. He went on to win the gold medal. And the German athlete, who was supposed to be favorite, actually became one of his best friends. 
will show you how the human spirit is so powerful. He didn't buy into all of what Hitler had taught him. So he actually, he and Jesse Owens actually became friends, and he, he really admired Jesse Owens when the Olympics were over. Jesse Owens went on to win a gold medal. But I want to submit to you that there is someone like that judge, really like that Hitler of, them, uh, of that time, and it is the enemy, it is the devil who, who works tirelessly to accuse us. And so every time you go through life and you want to do something, you can hear the enemy almost cry out, fault. Every time sometimes you say, you know what, I want to make a change in my life. I want to live for the Lord. I want to live differently. And you try and do something. It's as if the devil yells out, fault. Ah, but you've got a coach named Jesus. He hands you a white towel. White because of his righteousness. And the dirt of your sin, when you step on his righteousness, makes it clear that yes, you are short of where you're supposed to be, but because of his grace, he makes it up and you're not disqualified. Jesus qualifies you. Not because of your own merits, but because you are stepping or you are moving, you are traveling on this road because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I submit to you tonight Jesus is not your Savior. Everything you're working for, everything you're doing, is One day you will hear the words, is But when you accept Jesus' righteousness, it's not your righteousness. When you're covered by the blood of the Lamb, He who, who sacrificed on that cross for you, when you make that acceptance, deliverance comes. And it doesn't matter what the world is saying. It doesn't matter what the newspapers are saying. When you accept Jesus, tonight, you want to qualify. In the race that we're talking about, I want you to stand to your feet. And I'm going to give and say our closing prayer, but it's also going to be a, a prayer of dedication. And if you stood, from tonight moving forward, the Spirit of God will begin to work in your life. God will begin to call us to be better Christians. Not Christians that are just kind of playing the game because we're in the game, but we are being Christians because we want to win the prize. God has already set up that prize. We'll talk more about that on Friday. I want you to know tonight that it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. Jesus has a white towel that will cleanse you. Dipped in the blood of the Lamb, it will wash you and make you clean. What matters tonight is where do you go with God from here? And every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Father God, we thank you. Lord, right now we ask for your mercy and your blessings. Father God, we're not worthy of your goodness. Lord, I have to even call myself a wretch as I look at my own condition. Recognizing, Lord, that there is nothing about me that, that should have called the king of the universe to visit me. Yet, Jesus came to this earth. 
And he lived a perfect life. And he died on the cross so that Eric Walsh and every other person in this room or under the sound of my voice would have a chance at eternity. Father God, tonight, let not one of us squander the opportunity you've given us. But instead, Father God, let us work out our own salvation in fear and trouble by receiving the free gift that Jesus has offered us. Lord, bless each of us. Lord, whatever problem the people in here are going through, myself included, whether personal, family issues, financial issues, Father God, show up in our lives. Lord, move us to show up for you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.